Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, my favorite modern artist. A man who fills a canvas unlike anyone else, Jesse Draxler. Jesse, how are things? Not too bad, how are you? I'm good. How's, how's, you're in LA, right? How's everything down there? Um, yeah, I'm in the, the LA area. Um, chill, I'm chilling. Sweet. <laughs> well, growing up in small town Wisconsin, being surrounded by nature and now living surrounded by concrete and cement, would you say this was the key factor in terms of your initial inspiration for this new audiovisual collaboration, Raining Cement? And can you take everyone through the story of Raining Cement? Uh, absolutely, sure. And um, to answer your question, I would say yes, uh, definitely. Um, that stark contrast between the, the small town, the woods I grew up in, and uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, the, particularly the area of Los Angeles that I was living in and had a studio. Um, that contrast is what um, inspired Raining Cement, and Raining Cement is an audiovisual project that I, I put together. Um, where, well, so I guess where to start. Um, so once I moved to the really industrial area that I was living in and had a studio, I took a lot of photos of um, that environment, and uh, I found it pretty inspiring. I mean, it was harsh and hard, but it's all, it was all inspiring. And as I was taking photographs, I, I wanted to fill out that world kind of somehow. So I started taking audio clips as well of just, like, machinery and, construction things like that and uh and then i didn't know what to do with any sound recordings or anything and it kind of just um struck me uh, to collaborate with musicians since i've worked with so many musicians in the past and um the idea was kind of sparked by a project i took part in years ago where the same um, packet of collage assets was sent out to a bunch of different collage artists and you do anything you wanted with them, but you had to use only the assets, and then they published the results in the book, you know, and um, obviously everything was really different, even though everybody was using the same asset. So I decided to do something very similar with the sound assets, where I submitted, or not submitted, but I, um, I selected, I think it was 34 sound assets it came out to, and I sent those same assets to, uh, I think it was 21 musicians or 22 musicians at the time, and... Um, and said, like, you can do anything you want with these sounds, any, like, literally anything at all. The only thing you can't do is add anything to it, besides vocals, if you want. And, uh, and yeah, that was pretty much it. It's, uh, all the musicians came back with some cool shit, and uh, along with that aspect, which is being released as a vinyl, a double vinyl, actually, um, there's also a book that comes with it that's 100 pages of images that, uh, photos I took in the same neighborhood, oftentimes at the same time I was taking the sound recording. Well, you've had a lot of music videos attached to these songs so far. Can we expect to see a Blu-ray release of all these at some point? <laughs> um, I don't know about a Blu-ray, but, uh, you know, the potential's there for something like that, possibly. We'll see. Well, was there an artist that really shocked you by what they handed in? Or did you pretty much get close to what you were expecting from everyone involved in the project? I think I was shocked by everyone. Honestly, I think the, the fact that I'm not a musician myself, so the fact that anybody could take these shitty sounds that I recorded on my phone and turn them into just, I mean, amazing songs, like real, legit songs. I thought I was going to get noise. I thought it was just going to, everything they're giving back to me was just going to be noise and abstract. And, um, 
you know, like there's some really catchy shit on this album. There's some really amazing tracks. I mean, there's not one track I, I don't love. So I'm surprised by everybody. <laughs> well, how did Federal Prisoner come to be? And are you and Greg 50-50 partners? Or was your main goal to kind of keep to the visual side of the company? Um, Federal Prisoner is a label that uh, Greg started, really. Um, he had the idea for it after doing all the releases for the, his band, uh, The Black Queen, which self-released their first two albums. Um, and then from that, uh, he had the idea to start a record label. And um, I worked with him. For the, with the Black Queen, um, I did all the visuals for that, um, a lot of the vid, uh, some of the video stuff, all of the graphic stuff for the albums, um, and so we had a working relationship there, and then when it came down to the record label, I think, um, honestly, I don't even remember, it, it just, it came about just from hanging out a lot, like, we played basketball together a lot, and, and go to the beach and shit like that, and, you know, just homies, I mean, just talking a lot about it, and what it could be and how we could go about it and shit like that. And it just happened. Um, I think, I think he was, well, so he was working on a solo, his solo record, which is coming out on the label. And then I had this idea for raining cement and it was always, it was an idea for years now. And I just never, I didn't have the confidence or something to like go forward with it because I'm not a, a music person or like, I don't, know anything about that world really or like releasing albums and shit it just seemed out of my reach to do it the way i wanted to and and then when i proposed the project to him or i i told him about the idea he really liked it and he thought it was great and he actually you know pretty much pushed me forward into doing it properly and then with the idea of the record label happening at the same time it was like okay the record label can be a real thing we have multiple releases now like if we do this and, um, and it just happened all really organically. And, and at question about 50, 50, like, fuck, I don't know. I don't fucking care. Like we never talked about it. We don't, we're not a business. We're not business people. We don't talk that way about who owns what or that kind of shit. You know, obviously that's going to be a thing down the line or whatever. But for me and him, we both have the same perspective of like, we just want to do creative shit and anything that's not creative, anything that's not art, we don't want to have to fucking deal with it. So like we have some other people that we work with that take care of all the other shit. But as far as like ownership and percentages and shit, I don't fucking care. (laughs) I feel like you and Greg are such visual people and like the music videos are fucking amazing. Can we expect any like feature films in the future of federal prisoner? (laughs) Hey, maybe nothing's out of the question. That's the point of the record table is that, we're not putting any boundaries on ourselves whatsoever. Like, I think a lot of people are expecting that the label is going to be, you know, heavy music oriented or something, you know, or, or it's going to be this or that. But like, it's, it's not, it's anything we want it to be. So like, yeah, fuck it. We'll make a full length movie someday. Why not? Fuck yeah. (laughs) I'm excited to hear that. (laughs) Well, how much does music and film play a role during your creation process? Or do you just try to shut your mind off from direct influences when you hit a canvas? Okay, um, music, music has always been really influential to my process. Like, uh, a lot of the time, I'll try to put on music that kind of suits the, the vibe of the work that I'm trying to go for, um, and it will actually inform it a lot, like, emotionally or, or viscerally. Um, so, in that way, it, it affects it a lot, um, like, during the actual creation process. So, um, and then as far as film, I mean, the film is, 
you know, very influential to me, but I don't know how much, like, directly. It's all just mood. It's all just vibe to me, you know? Like, so I'll watch a movie, and it's not like I want to copy that movie or I want to do things the same way they did in that movie, but that movie had a vibe that I really liked, and it's like, I want how can I translate that vibe into, like, a piece that I'm working on? Same goes for music, you know? You can't, you know, music's not a visual thing, really, so it's like you just have to take the feeling that it gives me, and then I have to process that feeling and translate it, you know, and a lot of the times that's just through process. That's not something I think about beforehand where it's like, how can I do this? It's like, let me put it on, let me feel it. And as I'm feeling it and I'm working, it just translates through me. You know, my work, I don't find to be very intellectual. I don't think about it a lot. I don't try to figure things out beforehand. I just work. Do you find yourself going back to like old musicians and old records and albums or do you really try to search out new stuff? It used to be that I was always trying to search out new stuff. Like, I really, like, for the longest time, I'm sure it's because of, like, my, my history as a kid and stuff like that, but um, I was very against the, like, I hated the feelings of nostalgia. I didn't, I don't like sentimentality and shit like that. And um, older music was, because I feel it so deeply, it was always connected to the time that I heard it or the feelings that I was having at the time that I heard it and shit like that. And so when I would listen to older shit and stuff that I liked from in the past, a lot of the times it would stir up emotions in me that I, I just wasn't interested in feeling and dealing with and shit like that. So I was always looking for new music because I wanted to feel new shit. I wanted to feel new feelings and I wanted to explore new things. Um, but as I get older, I do find myself now going back quite a bit to a lot of the stuff I listened to in the 90s, um, a lot of old grunge and shit like that. Like just listening to um, some old Stone Temple Pilots the other day and shit like that. Really diving on that. So like as I get older, I find myself being more open to it and like going back to it. Well, I grew up in a small town as well, and I know this was hard for me. But what was it like for you trying to acquire the art that you wanted as a youth in all forms—music, film, high art, all of it? Sure. Um, well, high art I didn't even know really existed. When I was a kid, honestly, like I never went to a museum until I would think I was like 18 or 19 years old, like a real museum. Um, what was your first museum? Fuck, what was it? I think, I, I think, man, my memory is really bad from when I was uh, younger, but um, I think I was in band or no, it was like an art class trip. I think we went to Washington, D.C., like with the band or something like that, and uh, I think we went to a museum there. And that might have been the first, like, real museum I've ever went to in Washington, when I was, like, 18 or something. Um, but otherwise, uh, you were asking about uh, just how did I acquire yeah. the, the things. Um, the Internet, really. Like, uh, I know when I was, before the Internet, my sister dated an old, like, a, a dude uh, in, when she was in high school, she dated a dude, and... Um, he was into heavy music and shit like that. He, he was into, like, heavy rock and metal and shit like that. And through him and her, I was exposed to, like, again, Stone Temple Pilots' core and Soundgarden and, you know, other shit that she liked, too, like Fiona Apple and whatnot. And, um, and I really enjoyed all that. And uh, that kind of kicked off an interest in, in that kind of alternative and, and metal music. And then I remember that he actually gave me under the table because my dad would have fucking hated it. Um, uh, Korn's first album. I remember that. And that was kind of like a, 
a whole game changer, like how fucking you know, pissed off they were in that album, that very first album. So, um, so that was kind of an outlet. But once the internet, like once I got the internet, which I got it as soon as possible in a small town here, and, um, then then it just fucking exploded. Like I, um, I was on message boards and in chat rooms, just constantly asking about music, talking about music with people. And I mean, it's kind of a longer story because that turned into me learning how to build like shitty GeoCities websites and shit. Um, and then I would, uh, I started multiple websites with the idea of like that I reviewed CDs, but I didn't have any qualifications to do so at all. It was all farce just to try to get free albums and it worked. Like I, I was getting it's so funny mailboxes I did, full of albums. I did the exact same thing. It's so funny. <laughs> I was, I was like, I had bullshit companies and I was trying to get into film festivals and I would just shoot, uh, big like music festivals. I would try to get in anywhere, try to get DVDs, VHSs, CDs back in the day. And I would just review that later led to a reviewing career, but I really started (laughs) as like, I was just bullshitting my way to get into free things. I think I think that that only that like I don't think that would work anymore. I think that was just back in the wild west of the internet where yeah, people didn't know like just anybody can do this. Just I like this, I was a fucking fourteen year old kid in the small town of Wisconsin. I don't think people knew that. You know, like they were like, oh, you know, this person wants to reveal it. So it was like, yeah. <laughs> I I can always That's remember. Amazing, I can always remember when a band came to town, and I would get an interview with them, and I'd be like, I don't know, fourteen. And they'd look at mm-hmm. me like, how in the fuck did you get mm-hmm. approved for this? It was I remember so that. I had the same experience as being on tour buses with a band and like interviewing them. And I'm just like some kid who had to get a ride there from like somebody to like, you know, it was really funny. Um, like shows I couldn't even get into because they were like 18 plus and I would be like sitting with a band on the bus. Um, it was very strange looking back, looking back on that. I, I always laugh about it. Just like, man. Who, who would have thunk, like, you know, that was actually the beginning of something larger now later in life. Um, so that, that way is uh, how I got a lot of um, the art and music that I was looking for was, was bullshitting my way into it, I guess. And then, you know, to find new bands and shit back then, I would get, you know, a band that I really liked their album. And then I would look at the, the notes in it and, like, they don't really do this anymore, I don't think, but... Uh, there would be long thank you lists mm-hmm. in like old albums and old CDs. And I would go through the thank you list and look for the names of bands. And then I would look that band up and then I would try to get a hold of them. And like, so it was, you know, that way of uh, finding out like what the new up and coming lesser known bands might be. Um, and then magazines, you know, I would buy magazines and look for bands that way. And as far as visual art, like I said, I mean, there's, I didn't even know what fine art really was until later in life. And um, I liked comic books a lot, and then I liked album art a lot. So to me, those were art. Like, I, like that's how, that's what I thought of as art when I was a kid, was comics and album covers. And so that's what inspired me, too, of, like, wanting to do art. And, like, that's the kind of art I wanted to do, you know, was album covers and comic books. <laughs> and now I do a lot of album covers, so I guess I worked out. Well, I'm curious. Do you have any art in your place, or do you just keep the walls pretty blank? Oh, I keep the walls blank. I, the, like right now, I have my newest panel, you know, hanging on the wall, just because it's new, and I, I like to live with it a little bit. But that will soon be taken down because I can't live with my art for too long. 
Um, and I definitely don't want to hang other people's art on the wall because I don't want to be influenced by it. I get sick of everything. I get sick of literally everything. So I can't have anything on the wall. <laughs> what do you think that you learned the most from your music reviewing days in the early internet? Uh, just how much of a farce everything is. <laughs> I mean, still today, I think music reviews are fucking bullshit. Like, like if a 14 year old on the internet can write it, like in a small town, I know it's jack shit. Like, and like now I read, you know, I don't read, but like you can read a pitchfork review and it's just horse shit. You know, I think, mm -hmm. I think I just, yeah, it made me not give a fuck about reviews at all. I work personally, I worked my ass off to graduate early and get out of my small town at the age of 16 and move to a metropolitan area where it was easier for me to fit in. Do you feel like you were the same way or do you feel a little bit closer to the area that you were from? Well, I wanted to get out as fast as possible. Like I, I, I definitely reacted against that environment pretty heavily. Like I just went anywhere else. I just, any city, that's all I thought back then was like, I just need to get to a city. Like I had never even been to a real city until like, you know, later in life, you know, like 18, 19 or whatever, like a real city. I guess, I guess I was driving down to like Milwaukee for shows. So I guess that was a real city, but not even really Milwaukee. Barely a city. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I definitely had the reaction against it and wanted to get out as quick as possible. I just couldn't, I mean, I, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any like support really. Like I didn't really, like there was nobody helping me do it or like helping me along or I didn't know anybody in a city that I could go stay with or anything like that. I had to do everything just 100% by myself. Um, so it took me longer to get out than it did you, you know, I graduated high school and then you know, right when I graduated high school, I went and got an apartment with a friend just, like, in the nearest what you would call a city, I guess, which is not a city at all. Um, but I tried to get out as fast as possible as well. It just took me took me longer. But um, now I don't feel like I'm connected to that state, to, that, to the place, but I definitely appreciate it a lot more. Like, I have um, my dad own some land and shit out in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, even more middle of nowhere than I grew up, like not really even close to, um, to, to legit town. And, um, and on some of the property, I have a tiny cabin with plans on building another studio up there and shit like that. So I appreciate it now, but I don't think I feel like attached to it. I don't, I don't feel attached to anywhere. I don't have a home. There's no, I'm not interested even in having one, to be honest, but like everywhere I go, I don't feel like I identify with the place. I just don't identify with places. Well, why did you decide upon the College of Visual Arts in Minnesota? <laughs> no fucking reason. Like, it's like I, I went to, I went to MCAD first, which is the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. And I went there just because I wasn't doing anything else. It was literally, I was, had nothing else to do. Like it was what can I do to fill some time without having to like work full time? I didn't want it. Like I've always hated working for other people. I still can't even fathom that idea anymore of doing that. But it was like, just what can I do where I don't have to have a job or at least don't have to work full time. And it was just going to fill up the, some section of my life while I just fucking party and like be a piece of shit. And it was like, I can go to college. Like, and so I got into Minneapolis college of art and design. I really hated it there. It was very, um, Pretentious, I guess was the word. Me being from a small town, I always felt judged and I, like I didn't fit in. I felt like everybody there was pretentious and, you know, they had 
they looked all crazy and shit and whatever. And like, they, they, it was just like a very, um, it didn't feel like art or something. I don't, I don't know. It was, I just felt really uncomfortable there. And so being a piece of shit that I was, I, instead of just like dropping out, I like just quit going and basically failed myself out. And, uh, and then after that, it was like, well, shit, I still don't know what to do. I guess I like, I'm going to try this other school, like this tiny little, and I got accepted on, um, probationary, like on a probationary, whatever, like status saying like, if my grades aren't above a certain thing, uh, that I would not be able to go there anymore because of failing out of MCAD. And then, but I did well. Um, I did well enough, and then I ended up graduating from there. But it was always just a way to spend, like a really expensive way to spend some time. It was always just because it was just there. It wasn't like I went through and it's like, I want to go to this school or I want to. I never thought, like, oh, I should move to a state and then go to that school because that's my preferred school, like RISD or something. It was never that. It was always just a matter of convenience. Your thesis on commodification of subculture through punk rock is strikingly relevant when you walk down the streets today, even being addressed in the HBO documentary, The Price of Everything. What do you think it was about punk rock art and imagery that draws someone in the high art world to try and acquire it? Or is it as simple as they think that the youth of that time will keep the value alive when those people fall into money and want to acquire those things back, in turn, just keeping their fortunes alive? Wow. Um, the second part of that question, man, I have no idea. Like, uh, like I've never even thought about the second part of that question about like keeping the value alive or keeping their fortune or whatever. Um, I don't think that way. I, just, I have no idea. But as far as like, why would an artist like want to acquire that aesthetic? I mean, authenticity. That's what I think at least it's just because that's like, uh, it's the most like authentic, visual aesthetic that there is you know and or at least to me and uh and so why would an artist want to acquire it is so that they can have a false sense of authenticity that's what i that's what my the the thesis was like it ended with was like you know a brand wants to take the punk aesthetic and use it for the brand because they want people to think that they're edgy you know but it's all false false it's bullshit so it's a false sense of uh, authenticity that's what i think at least um at least when a brand is in stuff like an artist or like whatever, like a real artist, they may want to use the, that aesthetic for the actual same purpose of the original aesthetic, right? The original punks back in the day. Um, I would put myself in that category of more of like, I, I, I share some of the same ethos and I want to use the lo-fi aesthetic for the same reason they did, not because I'm trying to portray some sort of false authenticity. But um, I think a brand, and I think maybe you know, these top tier blue chip artists and shit like that, that they want to use that aesthetic. It is a false sense of authenticity that they're trying for. They're just, it's, it's empty. Well, punk rock is fairly minimal in its song structures, yet the imagery can be very loaded and complex, especially in its collages. Why do you think this juxtaposition works so well in this art form? Well, don't you think that the um, aesthetic, while it might be more like, busy, I guess you could say visually busy or whatever, it still is as simplistic as the music is. It still has like the simplistic message behind it. Right? Like it's, I, I, it's still I, like I it's, agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's still like a punch, you know, it's still just like a punch to the gut. It's not like you sit and like I analyze that aesthetic down and like figure out every little bit and piece and like try to come up with some grand thing. It's more just like 
this is a striking visual that's meant to fucking hit you in the face, right? Like, punch you in the face, uh, just like the music, right? So, I don't know, I, I see a direct correlation. And also, like, even though it may look visually busy or it may look visually like that, a lot going on, most of the time that artwork is made so fast. Like, it's not, you can tell that, like, while they may have some compositional skills or whatever, the way that it's cut out and the way that it's done is done very quick and haphazardly. So, it may look chaotic, just like punk may sound chaotic, but you're, like you said, it's minimalist, it's simple. Uh, so is the artwork. It may just not look that way. Now you're creating such a world within your work, a lot like Clive Barker does in the literary world. Are you trying to keep things otherworldly, or do you feel like you're just trying to tackle your perception of the world around you? I mean, those, can, to me, can be one and the same. Like, I think that the world that I exist in, like, I am trying to create a world, not trying, I'm creating a world. Like, it's my world, and that world is otherworldly, but it's also the world that I live in. I don't think that's mutually exclusive, those things. Well, how much input does an artist give you when they are coming to you for an album cover or a piece to work with or a poster or a shirt or, or anything that an artist comes to you with? Yeah, so it it depends on the project and it depends on the band, obviously, but most bands these days that come to me come to me for me. You know, it's not, I'm not a, you know, uh, like a staff designer or something or just somebody where you can just like, uh, pay me to execute your thing. That's not what I do. Like bands that come to me, come to me because of my style, my vision, my eye, my, my style. And um, so most of the time they're pretty hands off where they're just like, Hey, we have an album coming out. Are you interested in doing the cover? Yes or no? Yeah, cool. Here's some music. And that's kind of it. <laughs> um, for the most part, that's how it is. And then other times if it's a more involved project where it's going to be like some extended, thing where I'm more of a creative director for an overarching like the whole release sometimes then they'll have input where they'll have more of them hey here's the concept that we have for the album we need the visuals to match it uh here's some references etc and um and then go forward that way but most of the time it is like I'm just I'm getting hired to do what I do well do you feel like you give more energy to something that's going to go to a Nine Inch Nails or Chelsea Wolf or Daughters or to Prince than you would for something like a Ferrari because of the impact music has had on you becoming an artist? Or do you well, approach yeah, fuck all... Ferrari. I don't give a... <laughs> well, I was just wondering, do you approach all projects the same? I mean, I pr okay, so that's kind of two different answers because I do approach all the projects the same because in the end, it's going to be a reflection on me no matter what, and I don't want to produce anything that's not killer. Like, I, I'd rather just not, even if it's the biggest client there is, if I can't execute it, how I want, that's going to be a good reflection on me. I would rather not do it. Um, so in that way, like, I, I give everything my all. Like, I'm not going to do anything just, like, half-assed because I don't care about the client. Um, that being said, when it's a music project and I really like the band, yeah, I'm more excited. I get more stoked when I'm doing something for a band and I'm like, shit, like, I was listening to this band when I was a kid or, or whatever, where it's, like, literal dreams coming true. Then, of course, I have more of a fire maybe in me or just I'm more excited personally about the project but but I give everything my all I give everything 200 percent how much of like a back catalog do you normally have of paintings or do you not really try to delve into something until you're commissioned to do so um well I'm always working like I like regardless like because of I'm a fine artist too, in a way, you know, like I have gallery shows and shit and I do a lot of personal work and I work for myself. I have ideas of my own that I want to do and stuff. So I'm always working. Um, I'm always making shit. 
Um, okay. Well, like, no, I have, I have a back catalog, I guess you could call it, where I, I keep a lot of stuff on hand and make personal work, and I'm always, like, have in my mind that, you know, there's always gallery shows on the horizon, whether or not there's one booked or not, they will have one. So, like, I'm always working on my own shit so that I have stuff ready for when the time comes. And recently, like, I was supposed to have a big gallery show in L.A. and um, canceled because of coronavirus or whatever. So I have all of that. I have, like, a show's worth of work, like, gallery work, not, like, illustration work, like, on hand, ready to go for a show. Um, as far as, like, illustration work, that's a whole different thing. And I still do a lot of that on my own, and a lot of times bands will come through and they don't quite have the budget to hire me to do the commission work, but I'll happily, you know, like be like, well, I got all this work. If you want to, you know, pick some things out and we can figure something out of an existing piece and I can charge you less for it or something. Else. I do have things on hand just because I'm always working. I'm always having ideas. I don't, I don't sit around and wait for somebody to, to stick a nickel in me to start working. Like that would be ridiculous. I would, that's not the kind of person I am at all. No, I'm always working. And it's just the back catalog isn't on purpose. It's just a, a byproduct of being a, a fucking consistent you know worker being a workaholic <laughs> it's it's from being one of the most creative guys working today you, your stuff is <laughs> fucking amazing thank you man but, that means a lot but speaking of the gallery shows what have you found to be the hardest part about having a solo gallery show um the artist statement <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Um, the opening, maybe, <laughs> because I'm just like, I don't like openings. I don't like talking about myself and my work. I don't really like in that, in, on that level or whatever. So those things are the hardest things to me about having a gallery show. It's not the work. It's not making a work at all. It's everything, like all the logistic, non-creative part of it, but it's the hard part. How did Miso fall? Ah, I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> How did Misophonia come to be? And... Did you think it would take that long for you to come out with a book? Okay, so how did Misophonia come to be? Yeah. You said? Okay, um, shit, that was like, that wasn't even my idea. It was, uh, so, how did that all start? That was year, a couple years ago now, and uh, la, la, la. I think what happened is that I just got an email from Caleb, who owns uh, Sacred Bones Records, and um, he was like, hey, uh, love your work. I'd love to meet with you next time you're in New York. And it just so happened that I was going to New York in a few months, I think it was, for a show. I had a solo show in New York. And at the same time, then I went and met up with them. Uh, no idea what this was about. I thought he was going to say, hey, we have a musician on the label interested in working with you to do an album cover. And that even that was exciting because Sacred Bones is an amazing label. And so I was stoked about that. But um, so we meet up and I go to Sacred Bones headquarters and he gives me a bunch of records and I'm just, you know, we're checking it out, chopping it up. And uh, we end up going out to lunch. And at lunch, I think, is when he asked me, he's like, hey, do you want to you know, put out a book on Sacred Bones? And I was just floored. I, I was like, what? Like, the, the idea of a book hadn't even entered my mind. Like I, like, I don't know. It just seemed so far outside of anything I thought of at the time. And so I was just floored. I was just like, yeah, 100%. Let's do it. And, um, and that was that. that. That's how that started. And then basically from there, it was just, me going through my back catalog at the time, which was huge because I was working furiously back then, and um, and just picking out the work to go into the book, uh, I think I ended up with like 200-some pages, and I mean, it was extremely stressful because I was going through like five to seven years, I think, of, of work, um, just like trying to deep dive into old uh, hard drives and shit. It was extremely stressful. I stressed myself out a ridiculous amount uh, 
like losing sleep, physical pain from stress of like how much pressure I put on myself about that book um, because it, it needed to be perfect for me. But um, that, yeah, that's how it all started. Like, he just asked me. <laughs> what would you say that the hardest piece you've ever had to do is? Oh, man, hardest piece. I don't even know, honestly. Like, I, I don't think I could pinpoint it, but I'm sure it was just for a client that I wasn't really vibing with, you know, like, if, if that's what you're asking, like, peace in general, yeah. um, then it, yeah, just, I mean, there's been a lot of clients where it's been, you know, I take the job because I needed money or something like that or I needed the whatever, and I always try to put 100% into it so I stress myself out no matter what the gig is, but um, probably just something where I wasn't inspired by the client, which happens every now and then where it's like, I feel nothing about this. Like, I don't feel this at all, you know? So anything like that, I can't pinpoint one, sorry. It's all good. Well, finally, what can we expect from you coming up? Is it safe to assume Federal Prisoner is going to be very busy in 2021? I hope so. Um, I hope so. We don't know exactly what's going to go on in 2021. I mean, everything's crazy right now. Like, there's no touring and shit, like... I know Greg wants to play some shows and stuff, so, like, hopefully we'll be doing some traveling for shows, and then there'll be, you know, things surrounding all that and whatever. Um, but then as far as other releases, that's all under wraps at the moment, you know. Um, but hoping. I mean, we've been busy as hell, like, this year, and we're busy as hell right now. So, yeah, I can only expect that 2021 will be more and more. only expect that things will get more and more busy for us as, as things go on. Um, and hopefully with a lot of a lot more people involved too, a lot of other musicians and stuff. And do you see like more gallery shows hopefully picking up for you next year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the show that I was supposed to have, um, it was supposed to be in June, uh, that's still on the table. I mean, it won't be at the same place, and I'll probably have more different work added to or from it. But um, it's still on the table. I was just talking to the dude that I work with uh, for galleries, like a gallerist, and um, yesterday, and he was saying that he's still interested in like a pop-up gallery maybe in L.A. whenever we can of, um, for my show. And I'm going to be in a show in um, Baltimore that's still tentative, uh, like a group show, and then hopefully in a show as well, like a group show in um, Soho in New York um, later next month or something like that. So I got a couple things on the books with that, but... As long as we can open up in 2021 and do things properly and, like, have openings and... Because, like, I'm not... I don't want to do my solo show where it's, like, an appointment only, uh, you know, like, has to be, you know, three people in the gallery at a time. I don't want to do that. Like, I want to go the opposite direction for my opening, like, because gallery openings are so stressful to me. I just... I hate it. So instead of, like... You can't get rid of them. I can't, like, just say, like, no, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to do that. I think nobody's going to go for that. So I want to go the opposite direction and make it a fucking party. Like, just, like, blow the roof off the place, have DJs, like, make it a real event instead of, like, a normal gallery opening. So until I can do that, I don't want to have my solo show. I want to. So as long as we can open up in 2021 and fucking throw a big-ass bash and have DJs and maybe live performances and all that kind of shit, that's, that's what I want to do my solo show. So hopefully... 2021 at the time they're saying touring for bands and shit not until late 2021 so i don't even know what to think anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready to go though that's the bottom line i'm ready to fucking go i got i got the work i got the ambition like i'm ready to rock as soon as we're allowed to <laughs> do, do you think that covid has impacted you at all or are you just still doing your same thing 
I mean, I'm doing my thing, but not being able to go to shows, like, me and uh, Greg really want to, like, go to underground shows and, like, scout bands and shit. That's, we were really excited about that before COVID hit, but I like, can't wait to, like, go to, you know, tiny clubs and, like, find the, you know, the bands that we want to sign and work with and shit like that. So, like, in that way, it's definitely affecting us, me personally, of, like, Man, it would be dope to go to a show and feel, you know, some music and. I know so it, that sucks. it's been it's um, been so long. <laughs> it sucks, yeah. That that sucks, and like not being able to have the gallery shows obviously affected me. And I went through a period of real extreme, you know, depression where I was just like, I should just I, this is never gonna end. Like I'm, you know, fuck all this. Like I should just move to my tiny cabin in Wisconsin, give up being an artist, fuck all this, just garden. You know, like I've had that moment. Um, uh, so yeah, COVID affected me, but then also too, it's like, I've been isolating forever, like all my life, like I've been isolating and I've been a very, um, person that keeps to myself. I work in solitude, you know, I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have any of that stuff. So I live alone. I work alone. So COVID in that way hasn't affected me as much as I think it affects a lot of other people. Um, and then other than that, I like to like, I exercise and I run outside and I ride bicycle and play basketball and shit like that. And I still do all that stuff. So in a lot of ways, my life hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, besides the whole, you know, sharing the work, uh, in a physical sense in a world. Yeah. And that's definitely, I mean, it's a huge bummer that my show got canceled. It was going to be the biggest thing I've done. My first legit LA solo. I mean, yeah, that really sucked. <laughs> the gallery I was working with was closed. You know, they didn't even, it's it's not like temporarily closed. I like closed for good, and it's just like fuck. Yeah, that really sucks. Um, are are you excited that basketball's back on though? I am. I've been watching the games. I'm gonna watch the Bucks here. Being from Wisconsin, I'm, I'm a Bucks fan. So hopefully they win. They've lost two fucking games in a row now. They're just trying to clinch the East, and they can't do it. So hopefully <laughs> they win today. I'll have that on at one. They play at one here our time, and. I'm definitely going to watch that. I am excited that basketball is back on because I do I have a projector in my studio and I love to turn on games on the projector while I work and you know and so that's cool. But I mean, it's weird. Like I don't. It's it's weird in a way because it reminds me of COVID all the time when I watch it. Like they're always talking about fucking COVID and fucking masks and shit. And like I wish it was regular basketball and like the whole. I'm not assuming you've been watching, but uh, like the way that they have the screens and shit, like I think that's so weird and it just it feels weird watching it in a way, but I would rather have some basketball than none, so I'm stoked. I feel I feel like the digital people in the audience with like the cardboard cutouts, it's so strange to watch it sometimes. It's like what the hell is yeah, going on I, here? Well, the cardboard cutouts are a lot worse than the screen, I think. The cardboard cutouts are almost insulting. I was just talking about that with somebody the other day, like, who is that for? Like, it's not for the people watching on TV. And so is it for the people playing? Or do they think the people playing the sport are so stupid that they think they're real people? Or I don't understand <laughs> what the cardboard cutout thing is. The video thing makes a little more sense. But I still think it's, like, it's unnecessary and kind of stupid. Like, they, I wish they just didn't have it. See, it's, it's, like, it, it makes it more obvious to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a big hockey guy. And the way that they're doing it, it just seems like a nicer visual experience than every other sport is doing right now. It's How are they doing it? So they kind of just put a tarp over all the seats and that's it. It just says NHL. It's just a tarp over yeah. the seats and nothing else. They've, they've Why? pretty much, yeah. 
they've pretty much like gone into the we are in COVID times. There's nobody here. Let's not like point into the fact that there's no audience here. Throw a tarp on it, be done with it, and let's get into the sport. I'm so about that. That's what I wish they did with basketball. And the weirder thing, and I get so it sounds like they're playing in the regular stadium still for hockey, but with basketball, they're all playing in these tiny little places. Some of them built specifically for this. There's not even bleachers there. So it's like you could just have the room empty. Like, why? Why is that such a problem? I don't. I don't know why they have to do it that way. Like, if they're just, I think it's somewhat insulting to everybody's intelligence, in my opinion. I will. I will um, definitely say that basketball looks better than baseball does. That just yes, looks strange. Just all hell. It's like, what is going on here? I remember seeing at the beginning of COVID that, like, in other, like, I can't remember what countries it was, but, like, in, I think it was, like, Japan or South Korea or something, like, they were still, they were doing baseball and there was the cardboard cutouts. And I remember just laughing my ass off at that, being like, that would never happen in America. And then it does. And I'm just like, what? I don't, I, <laughs> I don't understand it at all. Like, in my, I, like, in my ideal situation for basketball was, like, build, like, a glass case around it and then let people watch from outside like street ball mm-hmm. like, like have a tunnel going into like a, a where you can see inside or something and then let the people like stand around on the outside or something and that'd be more of like a street ball setting which i think would be dope because i i mean i love street ball like but how, whatever i'm how, just glad that they're playing how often do you uh do you still get out and play basketball um well i've been going out you know decently often myself and just shooting around haven't been able to coordinate like the only person i play with is greg and uh we haven't had much chance to coordinate in that way uh to play basketball especially because so we used to uh, always play at this court down the street from where he lives uh best court like i've ever seen or really like ever ever played at and um unfortunately uh they took the rims off the backboards there and they haven't put them back yet and it's the most infuriating thing (laughs) It's so infuriating. I've thought about writing somebody about this because I, I can't understand why, like, those aren't back. Like, I, I feel like it's just an oversight or something, what, but is, it's infuriating. Is, is it just to try to keep what? people away from playing there right now? I guess, but the thing is, is that, like, there's courts literally miles away from it that have the nets up and, and shit. And, like, I go down to the beach and I see, like, intense, you know, five-on-five games playing, you know, like, I don't know what they think they're doing. It's just really frustrating that the court that we play at, uh, they don't have the rims up. Um, but I've been going out and shooting around by myself. It's not the same. I'd love to, love to play some competitive basketball, but I get out every now and then to shoot around. And so I like shooting free throws. I find it to be like a meditative thing where I'll go to the court and I'll just shoot free throws. I won't allow myself to shoot the ball from anywhere else, only free throws, and I'll just do it for like an hour straight. I do that. Well, I'm curious, since we're living in strange times, what are you thinking of these driving concerts? Oh, I mean, I don't know anything about it. Um, Isn't that just a strange idea to you, though? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Are they, are they doing, like, full concerts? I only saw something about, like, some group getting in trouble for doing one in upstate New York where there were people, like, outside of their cars, like, partying and shit like well, that. There, like, was, I don't... there was one that happened four blocks from me last weekend. Oh, and I okay. went, and it was funny because I heard this like bass, and I went out to my to my patio, and I'm like, "What in the fuck is going on here?" And then yeah, started researching it. We walked up like two blocks, and then realized, "Oh shit!" There's like a weird driving concert happening. It was a strange, strange moment for me. What was the band? 
Was it anybody I know or no, anything? No, I like, don't even oh, no, know. Okay. It was just like some random ass band. How did it work? Like people drove into like just like a drive-in movie theater and rolled down their windows or that's did they ex- get like a speaker box for their car? Or? No, that's exactly what they did. Everybody pretty much, it just looked like they had all their windows down. They were parked. It was funny to me because they were parking the cars uh, six feet apart. So they were doing, trying to get as many like cars as they could in there. They were even parking the cars six feet apart. It was just like a strange, surreal experience. That is really strange. I don't. I don't think it would be the same experience personally. I, I mean, I can't imagine it being I don't, like. What's the difference between that then and just like watching a concert on TV? And I really. feel like you're gonna watch a better <laughs> show on TV yeah, than you gonna, are in you're your. Gonna have better view. <laughs> Well, and how much is that affecting the sound, too, if you're just rolling down your windows? you still got your, like, front window and, like, how well, like, how good is that sound? Oh, it has to sound yeah. terrible in your car. Yeah. Sure. I don't, I don't see the point of that. I don't, I think that's kind of silly. Jesse, it means so much that you came on here. You are legitimately, from the bottom of my heart, my favorite modern artist. Every oh, sing- man. Every wow. single, seriously, every single time I see any new work from you, it fucking blows me away. I just, oh man, thank you. I just want everybody to always check out what you're doing. It is the coolest shit in fine art, in music art. It doesn't matter. You are the fucking coolest artist working right now. And I just want to thank you again for coming on here. Oh, fucking A, man. That really means the world. Thank you. I'm smiling if you can see me. So that really means a lot. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Keep up with all Federal Prisoner projects over at federalprisoner.com and keep an eye out on jessedraxler.com for all upcoming news on Jesse. And his reigning cement vinyl album will be available September 4th. It is sold out. Maybe there'll be new pressings. I don't know. Make sure to keep up with those kinds of things over on the Bandcamp page, federalprisoner.bandcamp.com and jessedraxler.bandcamp.com. This concludes our broadcast day.